Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife. He was a peacemaker between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. We're brethren. Isn't the whole land in front of us? Please, verse 9, separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. Now, notice what this verse says. And saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. Now, last time you went to Zoar, do you remember what it looked like? Right, doesn't that, I mean, why is that in there? Well, maybe for us to wonder about. And so let me show you Zoar. Right there is Zoar. This is Egypt. Now we've zipped down south. This is the desert sands of Egypt, and it comes right down to the plains of Zoar, which straddles the Nile River. Look at the difference between the desert sands and all of a sudden it's lush, green, fertile, uh, just stretching off as far as you can see. And you can graze and grow whatever you want. And every year the, the alluvial soil silt came up from the Nile and it just replenished it and it was wonderful. So that's the contrast. So let's look at what it looked like in Israel. This is what the Sea of Galilee looks like now without the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah that happened in the south. This is probably what it looked like around the Dead Sea area before that judgment. Because it says, look back at chapter 12, verse 10, it said that the plain of Jordan was well watered like the Garden of the Lord, that's probably the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt, which I just showed you as you go towards Zoar. So, Lot's looking down, he's got all these, these sheep to, to look at, and he looks at this land, and it, and it wasn't just grass. Uh, this land also was very lush and growing things. We know from ancient records that this was a winery. Look at the huge grape clusters hanging down. You can just see what it's like now that they have, that the Israelis have brought in irrigation. I mean, it's kind of like Imperial Valley. That's what it was like back then. It was this lush, gardenous area, just beautiful. And then, if you look the other direction, this is what it looked like where Abraham settled. And I showed you this last week. Now let me ask you, uh, which one would you take? That one or that one? I mean, come on. If you're raising sheep, and you got your flock there, and you have a career in front of you, and you've got to raise those sheep and raise your family and have a house and have a career and earn a living... Would you try and wander between the wadis of, of the Nahal Beersheba and look for a little grass tucked in all those valleys? Or would you want to just everywhere you look have grass? Well, the, the lesson I want you to learn from this contrast is that the same boy who grew up always picking the biggest role for himself at the meal and he learned to make every decision as what was best for Lot, picked the best grass. Now, if God would have called him there, it would have been wonderful. This was a test for him. And if you keep reading the, the, the text, it says, Lot chose for himself, verse 11, this, the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram uh, dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched, verse 12, his tent as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. 
And the turning place we see in the life of Lot is when he looked at Sodom here. And the next thing we know in in these verses, he not only put his tent toward there, but if you look at at chapter 14 and verse 12, then they took, the, the invaders took Lot, and look at 14, 12, Abram's brother, brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. You know, first he just looked down at Sodom and it was exceedingly wicked. And then he picked this land and he put his tent, but he didn't take his family into Sodom. I know it's really a bad place. So he just kept his tent outside of town and raised his sheep and started his business. But before a few years have gone by, he's moved into the city. See the progressive nature of sin in this man's life. He, he was not an altar builder. He was not a, a, an ardent worshiper of God. He was a man who lived for, his, for what was best for him. He picked what was best for him in every situation. And so when he was thinking of what he was going to do with his sheep and what he was going to do with his career and what he was going to do with his business and where he was going to locate his, his home and, and everything else, Lot did not consult the Lord. He just did what was best for Lot. And the tragedy of that is that Lot lost everything. We're going to conclude in chapter 19, so why don't you turn over there with me? Because Lot lived for Lot. And Lot, in chapter 19, was living in Sodom. And look at verse 9. The angels come, remember, and and visit him. And and so all the, the inhabitants of Sodom... Come, and in verse 9 it says, and they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came to stay here, and he keeps acting like a judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to breaking down the door. You know, the first thing Lot lost was his compromise made him lose his, his testimony. Those people of Sodom wouldn't listen to him. He said, no, no, don't do this. And they said, what are you? you don't judge us. You see, when you live like the world, in the world, just acting like them, you don't really have a testimony. It's just neutralized. And Lot lost his testimony because he advanced his career. Uh, and, and by the way, I, when we read this chapter 10 days ago with my family, I noticed it's next several meals after that, no one picked the big roles. <laughs> but you know what? It's not just the roles at dinner. About I, It was last Sunday, I think, I shared this with the young couples class. You know what I said? You look for houses. You always think, what's the best house, the best deal, the best money, the best location? Where are the best schools? How about a job? What's the best security and retirement and advancement? And how much much freedom will I have in that job? And you know what is dangerous? We have been taught to always think about what is the best for us. And sometimes we forget to lift up our hearts. Lot lifted up his eyes to look over what was best, and he picked the best, the well-watered like the garden of God. He forgot to lift up his heart and say, but is that what you think is the best? If you keep reading, it says in verse 14, he didn't just lose his testimony, he loses his his family. Lot went, this is chapter 19, verse 14, went out and spoke to his sons and daughters who had married, or to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters, and said, get up, get out of this place, the Lord is going to destroy the city. But to his sons-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. He lost his kids. He was a believer. Don't ever forget that. He was righteous. I think he married an unbeliever. He lost her. I think he raised a bunch of unbelievers in his home, lost them. He lost his own testimony in this world. He lost his honor. And 
Did you know that whenever you think of Lot, either you think of his wife turning to salt, or you think of his daughters making him drunken and committing incest with him? I mean, do you think anything noble about him? It's a good thing Peter put in what he did, or we'd have nothing good to think about him. So, so what did Lot get for his choice? Lot had grown up picking what was best for Lot. So Lot found a great career. He made a lot of wise business choices. He had a great home in a very affluent city. He, he had the best, his family, the best off for his family. I'm sure that they had everything that they could imaginably have. But in the end, Lot picking for himself instead of seeking the Lord first. In the end, Lot lost everything. Now, he'll be in heaven. I'm sure we'll meet him. But he is a living example of what it means to be saved yet so as by fire. Because everything in his life was burned up. He lost his testimony. He lost his children. He lost his wife. He lost his honor. And his descendants, his very own children, became the enemies of God. And you know, that can happen to any believer sitting in this room tonight. If you and I persist when the breadbasket of life comes around, picking the biggest and the best for us, picking the best next move in our career that will advance us without saying, God, will it advance you, picking the best home that will advance our equity with no regard of where that home might be from God's perspective and what might happen if you move there. And, and on and on I could go, thinking about the best education for our children, the best schooling they could ever get without ever thinking about what they might encounter there and not asking the Lord. You know, this land is filled with pictures that speak loudly, just that plain and the death there. This is the actual place that they say Sodom was right here. Just look at this upheaval. This is all salt and death. And that is a stunning and vivid reminder of what happened to that garden place because of sin and what happened to the man who was the friend of the world who didn't follow Abraham, who was the friend of God. And that's a warning to us. You say, are you sure it's a warning? Yes, I want to close by turning the book of Luke. Okay, go to the New Testament, book of Luke. And I want to show you the only verse that Jesus commands us to remember an individual. This is the, I searched. There are 590 imperatives in the New Testament. I've looked at all of them. And 290 are in the Gospels. And I, look, I read every one of them. This is the only time Jesus Christ commands us to remember an individual. Okay, and look what it says in the book of Luke, chapter 17 and verse 32. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. What should we remember about her, Lord? The next verse. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever goes through life seeking to have the biggest roll out of the breadbasket for themselves all the way through life, you're going to end up losing everything. But whoever loses his life, whoever says like Abraham did, you know what, I don't want to take for myself. Lord, it's in your hands. If, if he takes that, I'll take this, and I won't fight for the better. I'll take this. I just want your will. Whoever does that. You know what the Lord says in verse 33? Whoever loses his life will preserve it. And that's a wonderful lesson from the world of Abraham.